Hello and welcome to another episode of Sensational Shigi live from Yancey Street. Today is actually Thursday, August 5th, 2021, and this is episode 28B. I do have to note that I am pre-recording this episode on Thursday instead of the usual Friday, so any news that happens early Friday that I would normally have on the B episodes, unfortunately I won't have on this, but you can catch it all, whatever it may be, on Mondays. Uh, 29a episode. That being said, it has been a little bit of a quiet week, so this might be a little bit of a shorter podcast than I normally do. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about some news things here very, very briefly in the beginning before we jump into our comic book pick list. Uh, The pick list is actually shorter than it normally would be, too, because a number of comics were delayed last minute or there had delivery errors or whatever the issues were. A number of comics very widely didn't make it into comic shops this week, including my own. Um, So there are some uh, mostly indie things that just haven't made it to my eyes yet. Um, And hopefully if those are really great, we will talk about them on Monday's episode as well. After the pick list, we will talk about the, the two little bits of news that we have this week. Uh, The first is a set of castings for the Ahsoka Star Wars series, and the other is uh, a little preview and discussion about what to expect for the Trial of Magneto starting later this month. Um, All of that being said, you can find me on social media. My Instagram is Anna with the comics because my name is Anna and I have the comics. Uh, You can also find me on Twitter, which I don't hardly use as much um, Savage She Geek because Sensational was too many letters. My website is sensationalshegeek.weebly.com. You gotta have the Weebly extension in there because I have yet to put any money into that. Uh, but you can find a lot of stuff on my website, including uh, some reading orders that include key information for some of my favorite uh, Marvel, well, not Marvel characters, some of my favorite characters across many publishers, actually. Um, as well as a two years, I think, worth of uh, written material that I now use for the podcast, but I used to write it all, um, and it's just a little bit less time-consuming to do it all on a podcast. So uh, you can find all of that backlog material and also links to everywhere that this podcast Uh, is available, which is pretty much everywhere you can find podcasts except Pandora. And that includes YouTube, where I also have a number of action figure review videos. Hopefully I'll get some new stuff in soon and can go over this. I think the next thing I'm planning on getting is the the Fig Arts Beerus should be coming, I think, later, I want to say later this month or the end of the month. Oh, and there's also going to be the last year's HasLab, uh, which I will be getting and definitely unboxing on film. Uh, so expect that whenever those babies start shipping out as well. That'll be the Sentinel. Um, I also have a Patreon out there floating around somewhere. <laughs> um, it's an odd at all required to donate to the Patreon if you listen to the podcast. The Patreon is there if you feel like this podcast is worth a certain amount of money per month. It has any level you want to put in there. Um, If it's worth, you know, a dollar a month, the cost of a comic book a month, five dollars, you know, ten dollars, whatever you feel is appropriate for whatever enjoyment you get out of there. That is the best way to support the podcast, uh, because that is how I can avoid spending all of my time working a traditional job and focus more on making the podcast better, putting in sound effects and things like that, which hopefully I will be able to do soon. Uh, The Patreon will also be 
giving out some small rewards. As of now, I have some stickers that say something about um, thank you for supporting the podcast 2021. I imagine I'll make some new ones in 2022 if there's still interest. Um, and there may be further similar rewards on the Patreon as time goes on and as I get more time to work on them. That all being said, um, I did want to just quickly ask if anybody has experience using podcasting um, hosts. Has anyone used Anchor for podcast hosting? I currently use Podbean because it was simple and straightforward and there. (laughs) So I went ahead and did that. Um, And I've been recommended Anchor. Um, I like most of what I see when I did my research on it the other day. Um, I would kind of just like to hear from podcast hosts themselves who have used Anchor. If any of you out there uh, have any knowledge of that, please let me know because I am doing some research and I may be switching over to that um, to have kind of a more full hosting experience and not so many things in different places and hopefully I'll be able to start adding things uh, with the Patreon program I'll be able to start adding things like sound effects, intro music, stuff like that to make this feel like more of a real professional podcast. Uh, now that we got all of that out of the way, uh, the, the little bits of minor news that we have today um, before we get started with the pick list Obviously, of course, it is the today's Thursday the 5th. Um, if, even if I was recording this on Friday like I usually would, I would not have seen Suicide Squad yet. <laughs> Did I say that right? Sui- the Suicide Squad? I think I said Suicide. Whatever I said, you know what I mean. Um, it is coming out tonight in movie theaters and to, I think late, late, late and tomorrow on HBO Max. I am going to be watching it on HBO Max. I have absolutely no problem saying that. And I have no problem saying that I do not like movie theaters. A lot of people who are similar to me who have social anxiety or sensory processing disorders or anything like that are not going to want to go to a movie theater to see this. Um, If any of you have similar things in life, they just don't like, you know, claustrophobia, stuff like that too. Germophobia, you know, especially in this day and age. Movie theaters are not the friend of people like me. Um, never really liked them, to be honest. I, seeing a movie on a big screen. <laughs> um, I get the whole movie experience that... The whole point behind this is James Gunn has been tweeting about how see the movie in theaters, the way that it was meant to be watched, even though they made it available on HBO Max, the people who were not able to go to theaters, for the people who are still uncomfortable go to theaters, or the people who can't go to theaters. I think I covered that one already, but you see my point here. Um, I just feel like it's a little bit irresponsible for him to be so obviously pushing movie theaters when I feel like he's being paid to do that the way that it's, even if it's not, it's, it just, see the movie however you want. I'll be talking about it on Monday's episode 29A after having watched it at home very comfortably. DC Titans premieres one week from today. I am pretty excited for that. That is season three of DC Titans, and it will be discussed on podcast 29B next Friday. Very excited for all of the new stuff that's going to be coming on that show. Um, Finally, before we get started, uh, LeVar Burton 
was not put as the new Jeopardy host, and I personally see that as a crime, as I'm sure many people do. Um, the new host is some executive, apparently, and certainly not a name, face, and voice that sparks warmth and trust in the hearts and minds of millions of people across the globe. But, you know, what What do the viewers know, right? Uh, finally, <laughs> I said finally before, but this is finally for real, Bad Batch episode 15 out of 16 is premiering tomorrow on Disney Plus with the big cliffhanger-ish ending of Hunter being uh, captured by Crosshair. I have no doubt that's going to be a very eventful second to last episode. Getting started with the comic book pick list this week, I have a number of comics I will be discussing. Like I said, I did not have a chance to pick up everything I was planning on reading because there was some distribution problems is kind of what it ends up sounding like. Uh, but this is what I have in order just of how when I read them, not in any particular order besides that, but it goes like this. The Me You Love in the Dark, number one, X-Men number two, Silk number five, Extreme Carnage Lasher, which is just a one shot, I guess. Suicide Squad Get Joker number one of three, Avengers number 47, Porcelain number one, Lucky Devil number one, and The Good Asian number five. Uh, starting off with the me you love in the dark, this is an indie comic coming from Scotty Young and Jorge Corona, and I am very pleased to announce that this is one of those really, really good, um, immediately addictive, in the first few pages, kickoff issues of an indie comic. This is only going to be five issues. Um, I can totally see how this is going to be a contained story at least a contained segment of a story. If they do a second series, maybe that's possible in the future. Who knows with these things? But um, they kicked it off really well. Um, this I'm not sure if this is the pattern that is correct to get me to get latched onto these things so quickly, but the way that this issue started off was kind of just dropping you into this woman's life. There is no action. There is no adventure. There is a bit of drama uh, a bit of tension uh, and some horror elements, but it's incredibly simplistic. You get dropped into a woman who is on a home search. Um, the story of a woman who is on a home search um, being kind of shuttled past a certain option um, by the realtor who claims the place is haunted and not worth her time. The woman sees it as her perfect spot and obviously takes it. I think she's renting it, actually. Um, doesn't really matter. She is a writer. She's going to be living in this gigantic, supposedly haunted house by herself to, or sorry, artist, to draw. Um, the problem that she has, as we immediately see after that, is she is stuck in a sort of artist's block, as opposed to writer's block, you get it? Um, every day comes up to her easel in front of the beautiful windows in this enormous haunted house. It looks haunted, let's be real. Um, <laughs> and she can't put anything down. And when she finally does, she hates it. It's, it's just lines, it's nothing good. And she kind of throws a little fit. And this whole time, it's been this very uh, subdued, um, wine glass in front of a in front of a window with an easel. That's pretty much just her day. But she's been making little comments since she's all here alone. You know, you talk to yourself. Instead of talking to herself, she's been talking to the supposed ghost. Um, and here as she throws a fit, 
with the art supplies and wine and things in front of her. Um, she hears the ghost speak to her for the first time. And it's really cool how they set it up on the page as she's doing her thing in the room. And then she like stops and takes a breath. And the next page is just blacked out and it says the ghost line there. And so it, it evokes a very haunting, uh, bone chilling feeling that you can definitely understand. Um, this wasn't like a normal voice coming out and just speaking. This was bigger. This was probably in her head. Maybe um, just just a sound that just like filled up the whole space and came from the bones of the house. And she freaks, runs outside, you know, screams. It's It scares the crap out of her because it would. <laughs> She's been kind of joking to herself about there being a ghost living here. She doesn't really believe in that sort of thing, but here we are. Um... So she goes back in and her stuff is kind of rearranged and put back up nicely. And on her easel, it says, I'm sorry. <laughs> so this ghost has a, has, a, has a crush on her a little bit or is just very interested in her? Um, and so that's kind of, that was, that's kind of the first issue. And they kind of, they talk a little bit and it ends without her really seeing them. She sees like the figure in the shadows. And then I think that's how it ended. Um, <laughs> really really good not necessarily creepy um it evokes more of a curiosity than a horror feeling um and i really enjoy that the art is you know fairly tim burton-esque um jorge corona thank you you do a fantastic job um and a little bit spindly, you know, how um, the house is extra tall and she's, you know, tall and slim and she's using the easels and the paintbrushes, which themselves are long and slim, um, you know, and it's, everything's a little bit extended like that. So I'm, I'm excited to see what they might play with in terms of art and lettering and design like that, uh, because they kind of have set themselves up with this perfect little curiosity of a of a of a story um and i'm really excited to see how that's gonna go it's only five issues um immediately got its claws in me <laughs> uh so definitely we'll check out the rest of those there's also a bunch of really good covers um including an exclusive jenny frizzen cover for um what was the comic place um, I don't remember what the comic place, Third Eye Comics is what she has it for. And I am really on the fence about buying that because as you may know, if you've been listening, um, I am a huge Jenny Frizen fan and I often buy comics that I don't read of hers because I am an art collector as well as a comic fan. Um, it's all tied in together, you see. So I get myself into trouble buying too many Jenny Frizen covers because I'm a huge art fan as well as a comic reader. So anyway... Might get that for myself. We'll see. Time will tell. <laughs> X-Men number two is back again this week. This is the, not spinoff of the Jonathan Hickman X-Men series, but it's the follow-up to what Hickman has been doing. It's the continuation uh, by Jerry Duggan and Pepe Larraz. I gotta say, Pepe Larraz must really, really love Jean Grey. He draws her phenomenally, um, particularly her hair. I would be curious to know if he, like, if he just particularly loves that method of drawing when he does her hair, because it seems to always be just 
fantastic. <laughs> um, I talked a lot after the first issue about the many different points that they hit that were really interesting and good. Um, setting things up for future stories and putting things into place to utilize in stories in the future. Pretty much just said the same thing twice. Um, but this one does a really great job of selecting a couple of those things to follow up on and move forward with that. So we kind of get a good idea of what's the situation that the X, this X-Men team is going to be handling as like their main job. There's a couple of really fun things that happen in this issue. Um, first off, it starts just beautifully with Quarters, which is that fancy treehouse now in New York. He's playing cards with Rhino, Black Cat, and The Thing. What? <laughs> Obviously, this is not surprising that he would do this. This is just such a group of characters. You get Gambit, Rhino, Black Cat, and The Thing playing cards. You're gonna get Black Cat's gonna steal shit from you. Rhino's gonna make a mess. Gambit's gonna steal shit from Black Cat, and they're just gonna like I. <laughs> That's such a fun group. I want to see them. I just want to see more of them playing cards. As it was, it was really funny when um when Rogue finds him playing cards down here, where two obviously wasn't supposed to be doing in the X Men headquarters with non X Men, <laughs> um as himself a non X Men as well. <laughs> Uh, the, the thing is like, yeah, we, we should go. You know it's serious when they stop using their superhero names because she comes down and she calls him Remy. It was funny, okay? Uh, we also get um, a really funny moment. There's not a whole lot of Wolverine being lore in this. There's not a whole lot of Wolverine really speaking in this. Um, it's something that she's kind of... She's been very much characterized away from what little bits of like Deadpool like characterization where breaking the third wall, whatever kind of nonsense like that jokiness. She's been moved very far away from any of that that she ever had in her character and she's been matured. Well, granted she did just spend over a hundred years. Was it like 150 years um, in the, the vault, right? Um, with, uh, good old what's his name who's also on the team <laughs> and and that's obviously definitely matured her as uh gene actually speaks with him about the same thing earlier in the issue um but she's been she's been very much pointed towards um uh, like a strong silent type uh strong silent scary lethal type <laughs> uh which is, which is which is great i think that's it's good because that will hopefully help people take her seriously i just worry that potentially she may not get the showcasing that she could get otherwise that being said uh, my point of bringing that up was there's this really funny bit of um when they were fighting the big monster that comes to attack right um because there's the whole oh god um it's it's the they're next to a black hole and this was a point that they actually made um i'll get back to my whole thing about wolverine and gene in a second but <laughs> a point that was made in this comic was because these villains who are gamblers who are literally sending um 
just just villains monsters i guess to attack earth to see and who is going to be the one to take down earth because they can it's fun they're they're using it to gamble and they're wasting money on it blah 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 um they're next to a black hole so what is one night of events for them is months of attacks on earth um i thought that point made was really cool so they send the annihilation wave (laughs) of all things to earth and so mid fight um they're doing their telepathic communication and gene uh somebody mentions i think it was cyclops mentions the blob movie um and he, he made some comment about the blob like the blob the movie not our bartender because <laughs> the blob the character is their bartender on Krakoa. um and so laura goes i haven't seen that movie and gene goes now you have and she like psychically gives it to her and they're they're mid-fight they're all like up to their fists in monsters right now um, or up to their elbows in monsters. And and Laura just goes, cool. <laughs> I don't know why I thought that was so funny. Like, just middle of a fight and you're just being given the knowledge of a movie, the blob of all movies. Like, what? I thought it was a nice little bit of subtle dry humor. Sunfire got a really nice spotlight. Um, he was kind of the back... Back... Um, seat character for the first issue so i'm glad that they gave him very much um a a good introduction in this they also gave him a great new outfit although i always call bs when publishers artists whoever it is brings up the designs that they were thinking about using for a certain character that got thrown away and they say oh we couldn't use this design because it was way too detailed to uh draw on every single page and every panel to that i say i'm sorry (laughs) spider-man spider-man that's it spider-man you can't say that because spider-man so it's always bs when that happens these guys literally put in I don't know how much work to put all those goddamn lines on Spidey's suit. They can put a few extra flames on Sunfire's outfit. It's, you know, it's okay. Just like the Shang-Chi outfit redesign. Um, I don't remember who it was who redesigned it, but he had this gorgeous, it looked like embroidered jacket with a dragon over it. Oh my God, it was stunning. And it got turned down because editorial said that it was too complicated to draw. Again, Spider-Man. Spider-Man is more complicated than any other outfit. And these ones, uh, it's just my little, my little bitch point. But it was nice that Sunfire got a spotlight. Um, He's a great character. He has not been nearly around uh, the amount that he should be and not given the attention that he kind of deserves. Uh, so hopefully this will get his popularity up and we'll get to see more Sunfire stuff. Hopefully we'll be getting a figure of this Sunfire outfit, although it took, what, what two years to do the the Dawn of X, the House of Powers of X, I guess, one. So it's probably going to be a minute before they give us a Sunfire of this. I'd also love a Laura, um, her new Wolverine outfit. I think that's pretty fantastic. Um, the, ho- the X-Men, um, another fun little, like, surprise in this, I guess that things kind of went a different way than expected was the X-Men get invited to a barbecue when they save Kansas <laughs> from the Annihilation Horde. I thought that was pretty awesome. Um, and it's, it's they did a whole thing in between. It was, you know, Jean her- heard something from... It was the... Oh, I'm getting too deep into this now. 
uh, Jean, Jean got a mental image, mental message from the guy who sent the wave, who is now dead, but she, like, was able to read his dying breath or whatever, um, to discover a little bit about, um, how the wave has been sent there. So the X-Men are starting to get their first, um, insights to this gambling alien place that is trying to destroy earth just for fun literally for shits and giggles no actually it's not that they did make the point of saying it's because earth is a beautiful lush haven and humans are destroying it so you know fair enough i just remembered the leader of these gambler people cordyceps jones what a name i want to high five whoever came up with that name great job there was also at the end of the issue um another problematic thing going on. So we had in the first issue, um, Ben Yurick, who wrote that beautiful, honestly, Jerry Duggan did a fantastic job, assuming it was him with that beautiful uh, Ben Yurick letter to the editor for, or letter from whatever it is that they put in newspapers, um, from Ben Yurick in the Daily Bugle, uh, talking about the x-men's new headquarters there in new york and how it was like an actually like wow this is kind of cool and hopeful ben yurik was also somebody who um made the connection yurik was also somebody who um made the connection that a mutant man who had died years and years ago he witnessed his death is now alive again um, that's obviously because of the mutant resurrection protocols, right? That's something that they can just do literally whenever they want now because they can. You kind of forgot. Humans don't know about that. The rest of the world doesn't know about that. I kind of forgot about that. So, um, people are starting to get a whiff of something's fishy here with the X-Men. Uh, all these dead X-Men are returning and that's going to be a problem. So, uh, we get now a little bit of insight at the end of this issue um, for the director, apparently director of Orcus. He is Dr. Stasis, and he has a tiger man servant, I don't know how else to describe it, called Bornen. Good for him. Um, he writes this letter, which is one of the classic white pages, which addresses the attack on Orcus, which was from... I want to say the end of House or Powers, it was when we first find out about the resurrection protocols. There was that whole issue where it was Wolverine, Cyclops, I believe Jean, Nightcrawler, um, and I think some others went to the Orcus facility and destroyed the Mother Mold. Um, well, <laughs> I guess Orcus was able to keep some of the bodies, which is clearly super problematic. And I honestly can't believe they didn't think, the mutants didn't think of any kind of way to avoid that from happening. Um, but anyway, so they were able to, to keep some of the bodies, including Scott. So now in his letter, he's saying, since they have proof that Scott slash Psychops was dead, they are very curious, very interested to know how he's alive now as the leader of the X-Men. They have his dead body. They have the proof there. This is going to cause some problems for the X-Men because they are keeping this resurrection stuff very secret. Anything that is kept secret and not like upfront told is seen as suspicious. So when the world finds out that the X-Men have these resurrection protocols and that they were specifically keeping it secret, that's gonna look real bad. Um, 
And to make it worse, this Dr. Stasis character, he wants to use Ben Yurik's curiosity over the X-Men that we saw in that first issue to have him start kind of writing them more as a secretive cult, thereby turning the public perception against them before they even learn about the resurrection protocols. It's only making room for problems for the X-Men, and I love it! Um, loving the Gary Duggan X-Men, Jerry Duggan, sorry, whatever. I'm terrible, I mispronounce names all the time. Not on purpose, usually. <laughs> uh, loving, love, this is the second issue in the series, absolutely loving it. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, what else, what else can you want from your X-Men but an enjoyable issue? Silk number five was the final issue of Moringu and Takeshi Miyazawa's, uh, it's the third volume of Silk, only a five issue series. Gotta say, wasn't too climactic. Um, there was a little bit of, uh, a little bit of violence, extra violence maybe is what you would say. Um, but for the most part, it was, it was pretty steady paced. Um, I, I didn't really feel the drama of it, but I'd say by the last page, um, it was kind of wrapped up very nicely. Her point was made very clear and it ended very well, um, kind of all making it come down to, yes, Silk trusted the wrong people, she found things out that she didn't like and things kind of went away that she didn't want them to go because she did trust the wrong people, um, but she spent 10 years in a, in a bunker. Um, she can't afford to just not trust people because then she will never let anyone in and she'll never be happy. So, you know, the whole, the whole lesson of it is like, yeah, you know, these people took advantage of you, but don't, don't, don't lose your hope. Don't lose your trust in humanity that there are good people out there. I guess that's, you know, good ending, whatever. Extreme Carnage Lasher was an interesting one. Um, this was by, oh gosh... Not Philip Kennedy Johnson, not Steve Orlando. Oh, the guy who who normally writes the Scream stuff, right? So Scream died supposedly in her one shot, the Extreme La Extreme Carnage Scream, a few weeks ago. Um, I have to be honest, I didn't read the one that came next because I was like, oh, she's dead. I don't have a reason to read this stuff. Apparently Andy Benton went and teamed up with Anti-Venom, which I was kind of aware was happening. Um, and then in this issue, it starts off with um, Andy Benton getting like stabbed in the chest by whoever it was in that last issue, the, the big spiky one. Um, and then we get this story of this, of the Lasher. Oh my God. The Lasher symbiote. Can I even describe how brutal this was? Oh my god. So the Lasher symbiote finds in this like hospital, I guess, this old man who's dying, who has had uh, dementia problems for apparently years, and now he's finally dying. Um, so he gets into his head, dresses up like his young wife, and tricks him into bonding with him by pretending to be his wife like holy shit and then um and, and then i'm pretty sure 
I don't recall if it showed, but I'm pretty sure he kills his wife as Lasher. Um, but he, whether or not he kills his wife, he goes through and like completely slaughters uh, a lot of the people in the hospital and outside of the hospital. It is brutal. You see, he's got like Lasher's design. He's got like the spiky leg things, um, just stabbing through people as he climbs around. Absolutely brutal. Um, and then you see the old man inside who's like, no, I didn't want this to happen. Completely nuts. And when he finally gets him to, I guess, wherever he was trying to get to, um, it's the Lincoln Memorial, the Lincoln Monument in DC. And the old man is there like, please let me die. And as he's saying that, the Lasher symbiote is carrying him way above the ground and he drops him and the old man's body falls out and hits a brick on the way down and dies. Oh my god. Just, just brutal. <laughs> um, I absolutely loved that. I'm sorry, but it was fantastic. But the more important thing about this issue, there was an introduction of many places are calling it a new symbiote. I'm not really sure if you can say that it's a new symbiote. Um, Basically, the Scream symbiote had been scraped off the burned ashen ground after the whole incident with Andy Benton burning it out of her, um, and it had been saved just barely by combining it, I guess, with the anti-venom symbiote, which created what they're calling a new symbiote. Um, I don't know if it can be argued that this is the same entity or what. It kind of seems to be uncertain if it's a totally new personality or if this is still Scream, she's just, or they're just changed a little bit. Um, I kind of like the idea that she's just kind of evolved, but we get the like narration of when she comes into being and bonds again with Andy, saving Andy's life as kind of as well as her own, their own. Um, they go into the whole thing, you know, uh, Clay McLeod Chapman, that's the writer. I got it. He's really good about writing, um, the, the monologuing of Scream, her internal, her internal narration and her internal voice. Um, so he kind of goes back to that pattern that he has sort of established for her internal voice um, about how, you know, I was born screaming, I was born in pain, blah, 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 and then switches it because now she is anti-scream, basically, um, and she decides to go by silence, I believe is what it's going to be, uh, because she is able to silence, you know, shove shove stuff down like goop or whatever down their throats get them to stop doing their thing i don't know um it was it was cool in the issue trust me <laughs> so she looks really awesome what was interesting about her design in my opinion is if you look if you had read the extreme not extreme carnage absolute carnage is that right the absolute carnage um Scream series where she had fought that like mother, that ancient mother character, which I still am very bitter. We didn't get a proper explanation because that series got cut short. Um, but this character had a very like bone armor appearance and it looks kind of like that has been adapted a little bit into Scream's new, well, Silence's appearance. Um, whatever it is, it's really awesome. She's mostly white, but has the, like, tendrils of the red and yellow going throughout 
her body to like shade and show form and stuff like that. I, I really dig it. Um, the, the change from Scream to Silence, I'm going to have to wait and see how that plays out uh, before I, you know, decide if I really like that or not. But it's, it's for right now, it's fine. Uh, she's back. That's really all I care about. Um, if you do argue that if it's a different entity altogether, then that kind of makes it so that Scream didn't get saved and then I'm bummed. So that's why I have to kind of go with, she just evolved. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> Brian Azzarillo and Alex Maleev with Matt Hollingsworth coloring. Suicide Squad, get Joker, number one of three was one that I knew I would probably like well enough, but I did not expect to enjoy it like this. Um, just absolutely, absolutely freaking great. The team of the Suicide Squad, we all, we all know the standard Suicide Squad thing, right? Um, the villains get sent off on a mission for reduced time on their sentence, but they get bombs implanted in their necks so they can't run away standard Suicide Squad shit. So the team right now is Jason Todd, uh, who I'll talk about in a second, Firefly, Silver Banshee, Pebbles, <laughs> Meow Meow, Plastique, Wild Dog, Wonder, oh, Yonder Man, I thought I spelled that wrong, Yonder Man, and Harley Quinn. Um, so Jason Todd in this, he seemed to have been picked up as Red Hood. He has a normal Jason Todd story. He was the, the angry Robin. He got killed by the Joker, um, got brought back and became Red Hood as like a more of a hardcore murdering vigilante. And in this story, he was picked up and put in jail. So um, Bell Rev, I think is where he is. So that's where uh, this kind of all takes off. Firefly, we know is an arsonist. Silver Banshee has to do with energy and noise, I think. Uh, Pebbles is, I'm not sure if him if him, if this character is new or established or what, but Pebbles is this guy who was experimented on by the military who is pretty much indestructible um, and is like kind of psychotic now after everything that he went through. Meow Meow is this, um, I want to say that they said that she was from Tokyo. Um, but she apparently, she wears a mask, which is you know, awesome. But she, I guess, is like a, she has necrotic power. She can like age and kill flesh and stuff like that. It's nuts. And then at one point we actually get to see her take the mask off and she has this like Star Wars monster mouth with tentacles and shit. And it is gnarly and I love it. Uh, Plastique does explosive stuff. Wild Dog is just ridiculously racist. He's a, basically a Trumpster and just annoying as hell, which I, this is 100%. He was a character Brian Azzarillo put in here to make fun of people like that. And it's so obvious and it's so funny because you spend the entire issue going, please let this be the guy who gets killed first. Please let this be the guy who gets killed first. But you know, they're probably going to drag him out to be one of the people who makes it all the way through issue three because he's annoying and you want him to die. So of course he's not going to die. Uh, Yonder Man, I guess, has uh, teleportation powers. And then we all are familiar with Harley Quinn. They head off together. They pick up, uh, I think it's Toy Man is the guy who makes the, the puppets and shit. Uh, who is actually not as creepy in this as he normally is. He's actually kind of funny. Um, 
not endearing. Wouldn't go as far to say that by any means, but it's kind of funny. Um, so they pick up Toy Man and they get their intel that Joker is supposedly at this bar. They head up there. It's a clear setup as soon as they go in. Uh, whoever, I guess the Joker's gang knew the Suicide Squad was coming. The thing is, the attackers in the bar were Russians. Apparently, Russia is funding the Joker to create general havoc. They have no job for him. They have no endgame. They just want him to destabilize Gotham, which is exactly kind of how you destabilize governments. Uh, so this is this is really kind of cool that Azrael is doing this, honestly. Um, so they they obviously have a bad time with the Russians, barely make it out. Uh, and then Joker arrives at Amanda Waller's place because we all know Amanda Waller is the uh, the lady who runs all of the stuff. Um, she's in charge of Suicide Squad, most importantly. So he arrives there with his goons, um, and they're all dressed up in the outfits of and speaking like characters from the Clockwork Orange. A Clockwork Orange. I'm not sure why, but it's kind of funny. I guess because they're just like walking up on someone and beating her up the way that they would. So I guess it kind of makes sense in a way. <laughs> but that's funny is they use like the verbiage of the characters in the Clockwork Orange, how they have the like the strange uh, ways that they talk. They use that and it's kind of funny. Um, he, he, Jason Todd's her, which is how we say bashes her head in, um, and takes, with a crowbar specifically, and takes the control box uh, for the Suicide Squad, which is the thing that controls the bombs and stuff in their neck, the incinerators in their neck, basically, and kills Firefly. <laughs> so everybody in the Suicide Squad becomes immediately aware of the situation, um... And it's now become a fine Joker life or death thing, so I I don't I'm imagining this is slightly outside of canon, so anything that happens here isn't gonna matter for the main DC canon, which means all bets are off. I would say anybody here except for Jason Todd is, could possibly die. I'm hoping Meow Meow and Pebbles make it though, because they're pretty awesome, um, not just because of their names. Also, when <laughs> When Waller tells Jason um, her names, like the thing that we can translate, the only name that we know her by is translates to Meow Meow. And he goes, that's sick. <laughs> hell yeah, Jason, that is sick as hell. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, Meow Meow's powers are awesome. I don't know what of these characters are established. I didn't get a chance to look that up, but I dig it probably a lot of people who are mad about it too which makes me like it even more <laughs> avengers number 47 i'm only going to talk about briefly here because we don't want to bum ourselves out too much but are we really okay with literally torturing the soul out not like torturing the soul but like torturing the fuck out of jen walters just for plot Really? Because she already went through a lot when she was put in a coma by Thanos a few years ago and woke up to find that Hawkeye killed Bruce, her cousin, the only other Hulk she could relate to. So is this all really super necessary? She just got over her PTSD from that incident and now you're going to do this? Is this necessary? Really? 
Um, I would also like I to say that I subscribe to, I believe it was, um, teeny, no, it was Leah Williams' thing that she said, um, if I'm ever writing a story and all I can think about to move a plot from point A to point B is torturing one of my characters, I find a better plot. So basically what I'm saying here is Jason Aaron, get better. Moving on. Porcelain Number no. 1 by Maria LaVey. This was an odd issue. I enjoyed it because of various reasons, but um, it kind of ended strangely. It felt like it got cut off. Like maybe this was written as a continuous graphic novel originally and um, what we're seeing here is like sectioned out. I'm, I'm not really sure. I did not do the research again. Sorry. It's, it's Thursday. If I had more time, if I had my normal Friday to do this stuff. Um, but we're going to drinks tomorrow. That's why I'm not doing this on Friday, but you don't need to know that. Um, the the issue itself, very much simpler art than what I'm used to seeing from Maria LaVey, where Luna was a complete work of art from cover to cover. This was very much more set up to be, um, I feel like it would read very well as a digital comic with continuous scrolling. Maybe that's what it was originally. I don't know. Um, but it's the, the artwork is very much more simplistic with she's not covering the pages with art um but the panels the the actual like world that you see in the panels um it's really cool it's kind of feels like um the closest thing would be Alice in Wonderland with just a touch of Wizard of Oz um but this world is like some kind of, I want to say it looks like a post-apocalyptic wasteland. This young girl is, she lives in the desert in this like rinky dinky shack. The sh some of this, you know, honestly, some of this reminds me of the, was it the Miyazaki films? Flushed Away and, uh, not Flushed Away, oh my god, that's the rat movie. Um, oh my god. My Neighbor Totoro, those ones. <laughs> it's been a long day. Um, but anyway, it kind of reminds me, the way that the buildings and things are set up kind of remind me of that kind of fantasy world. She lives in this little rinky-dink shack, bigger on the inside a little bit, um, to make it work. But she gets sent by her caretaker to the city. She doesn't want to go, but she gets sent off to get a bucket of oil. You kind of get the feeling that this is like a very grungy society that is like dirty and not very environmentally friendly. Uh, and she is warned to stay on the path. I guess Little Red Riding Hood could also throw that in here. She's warned to stay on the path. However, when she passes a genuinely creepy as shit dollhouse, um, it enchants her. She starts to spend too long looking at it and it enchants her to take a step off the path. And then she just sees off the path. It reaches out with these horrible, like, spiked tentacle arms and grabs her to bring her inside. Um, after like a little bit of unsettling looking around the place, she meets the doll designer who is this woman, this young girl who speaks with like red text instead of the standard black. Um, and the room is filled with like life-size-ish dolls. And there is only one other human appearing girl there wearing a mask. She was shown at the beginning on the run from this red text designer lady. Um, but they, 
and that's kind of how it ended. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I imagine this is probably going to be another five issues. Maria LeVay's ten, uh, stories tend to be about that long. Um, this was intriguing enough for me to check out the second issue. Creepy enough to be very interesting and settling enough to be creepy. Um, and it kind of pulls from all the best creepy kid stories, you know, Alice in Wonderland, Wizard of Oz, you know, all, all the best creepy kid stories. So, um, we'll, we'll kind of see what happens. It might just be a weird murder room story, but if it is, I'm probably going to enjoy it still. Lucky Devil number one was good. It's by Colin Bunn. It's, it's good. Um, but it, it got me a little bit it caught me a little bit off guard, I think, with its, like, unsettling grotesqueness. Um, let me explain a little bit about the story. I loathe the guy who the main character was. I'm sorry. I know it sounds terrible and mean, but I hate him. He was, like, he's a person who just lets himself get completely walked all over, knows his girlfriend is cheating on him, doesn't do anything about it, you know, his job is absolute trash. They totally miss, you know, abuse him and it's just completely terrible. He just forever takes the bad luck without trying to ever change anything to be not so miserable and downtrodden. Uh, it's, it's, it's just how it's, uh, it irritates me so much. Just grow a backbone, please. And you won't get treated like that so much. Just don't involve yourself with so much bad shit. Like why? Um, so anyway, he gets possessed by, um, a demon Lord called Zed, <laughs> uh, ends up going on some killing sprees. And then in a moment of clarity, he is able to get a voodoo priest to exercise the demon from him. Uh, doesn't really work because after a violent incident at a local burger joint, which is how the issue actually starts, extremely violent. Um, he encounters that same demon Lord Zed in his demon form, except he's completely powerless. Uh, Zed tells him that the priest, the voodoo priest was able to remove the possession, but left the demon's powers in the human. Whoops. Um, all of this is kind of told over the setting of an AA style meeting, presumably of demonic possession survivors. Um, and it ends with the human guy sitting in the meeting asking who's going to join up with him and stop them from being constantly mistreated, which I have a feeling none of them are going to go with him into. Um, as far as I know, the rest of this series' plot is just going to be him trying to not get killed by the demon powers that be who want the powers back that he does not want to give up. So um, it was fun. I'll, I'll check out at you too. Um, it was, it was fun. I can't see it going on for too long. Um, just kind of a, a fun, just throwaway horror comic, I guess. The Good Asian number five, the first half or so of this issue, I have to admit, was a little bit slow. Um, and things kind of start picking up a uh, half-ish way through when Edison, um, Edison Harks, the detective, his adoptive brother, a white kid who is, um, shoot, his name is like Frankie, I want to say. Yeah, Frankie. Um, he, uh, he stops by to help Edison out with the whole, um, 
investigation that he's doing and they have you know whatever stuff goes on and they have some really hard conversations about being Chinese in America and their father and eventually Frankie has to admit that he has been in love with Ivy Chen for as long as he's known her and he kissed her just before her disappearance remember they're looking for Ivy Chen um so he didn't want to say anything because that obviously makes him like a little bit of a suspect uh, then they end up finding Don Yen, who is one of the richest Chinese men in the city, in his club, dead, with an eye gouged out because they caught the killer mid-process of getting the second eye. Um, so Frankie ends up catching the killer, who is a masked man, and it takes the mask off to find out that he is a heavily disfigured white man, uh, who then slashes Frankie's throat with an axe. So that's fun. Um, There had been a fair amount of narration through the issue um, about how Edison has lied to Frankie about various things their whole lives all through to that day. Um, So as Frankie lays on the ground bleeding to death and Edison tells him that everything's going to be okay, he narrates over that how as his brother's life ends, he was just telling him another one of Edison's lies. And it was like, oof, that moment. Um, And then the issue kind of ends with the note that this once millionaire white man's body is going to be found in Chinatown. And by morning, there may no longer be Chinatowns in America. What he's saying, it bears a lot of weight, but it has a lot of truth to it. History shows that especially for Asian countries, Immigrants to America are poorly treated and even cut off or rejected from immigration due to basically poor public opinion. A lot of it has to do with the very, very real world and very racist concept that Asians and their offspring are savages just because they don't come from somewhere or just because they come from somewhere else that lives their lives by very different means than our Western standards. We forget a lot. West isn't best just because from our point of view, from our perspective, it seems normal or correct to do things one way, doesn't mean everyone has to do it that way. At the same time, just because someone comes from a country distant and relatively unknown by American culture, doesn't mean they need to be saved by Western money or ideals. Anyway, that's the pull list. I'm sorry, that's the pig list. (laughs) Moving on. If you are someone who would like to just skip over the comic book pull list or pick list, sorry, and get straight into the rest of the stuff on the podcast, the little bits of things that we have after that, I just have my cell phone alarm go off. Oops. Um, you can go ahead and jump to about 55 or 54 and a half minutes in. It'll probably be about where you want to go. Um, and I'll be wrapping up the comic book pick list and moving on to other things. There have been our first news, really, of any kind for the Disney Plus Ahsoka live action series has come forth. Um, It's two castings, two fairly exciting castings that actually show us a lot of what that series could be potentially about. Uh, First is Ezra. Uh, You may remember Ezra from Rebels. Uh, he's going to be played by the actor who actually played Aladdin in the live-action Disney movie. His name is Mina Mossad. I apologize if I said that wrong. I'm sure I did. 
Uh, it makes a lot of sense, in my opinion, since Dave Filoni, the creator of the show, always said that he saw Ezra's parents as looking very Middle Eastern, so that checks out. We also know now that Thrawn is going to be played in the show by the same guy who actually voiced him in the animated stuff, Lars Mikkelsen. Thrawn originally comes from the Star Wars Legends material and was brought into Rebels by Dave Filoni. One thing to note about this, neither of these castings are actually confirmed. Rosario Dawson, who plays Ahsoka, had actually reposted an Instagram story that mentioned the news, um, but that could just be her being out of the loop or being excited about the potentiality doesn't actually say anything official. Uh, what is exciting about these castings, aside from just knowing a little bit about the show, um, it does give us a little bit more insight about the plot. Rebels, the show Rebels, ended with a very cliffhanger, cliffhanger, cliffhanger way for Ezra and Thrawn. Um, very unknown if they were dead or alive. Very much implied that they're alive. Um, but knowing that they're going to be appearing on this Ahsoka show tells us that they definitely made it out alive. It confirms that. It makes sense that they will um, be moving there instead of on the Mandalorian since Ahsoka's search from Ezra started with the Rebels finale um, and it was kind of hinted at in her Mandalorian appearance as well. So making this look a lot like uh, the, the series that we're hoping it's going to be. We still don't know if Sabine is going to be in this. Um, not really sure yet. But uh, the first two castings, uh, we, can, we can kind of assume Sabine might be in it. Hopefully she'll be the next casting that we uh, kind of get. So we'll see what the next news is, but this is a very exciting start. Finally, I did mention this was going to be a bit of a shorter podcast episode because I'm doing it a day earlier and several comics short of what I would normally do. Um, but I'm going to wrap things up today with some discussion of the trial of Magneto. There were some preview pages, textless preview pages of the first presumably few pages of the series um, that were released is going to be by Leah Williams and Lucas Wernick, and it is apparently going to be following Williams's X-Factor team, whose series did just end with the discovery of Wanda Maximoff's body. Um, one thing that I, I kind of wanted to start off with in this discussion is I'm starting to wonder, is this perhaps not just Magneto on trial, but Magneto running a trial or like turn detective shit, you know, because I'm, you know, I'm, they're mutants. They have telepaths. I'm sure they're going to discover whether it was him or not pretty early on in things and then move on. Um, one thing to note though, there was a 1985 Magneto trial in Uncanny X-Men number 200, which ended with him becoming a new leader of the X-Men, which was actually his very first time on the team. Um, and apparently the series, Trial of Magneto, will also understandably explore uh, Wanda and Pietro's lineage. I know I've touched on it before in the podcast, but it was, um, it was during the 2014 Axis event, the High Evolutionary, who's got his fingers in a lot of stuff, including um, Spider-Woman, not like that, don't be a pervert, uh, revealed that the High <laughs> Evolutionary revealed that they are twins, but they were children of characters called Anna and Mateo Maximoff, not 
Magneto um, and whoever that mother would have been. So they're not mutants, uh, but they're actually just experiments of a scientist that had just kind of been cast off. This is as opposed to their traditional role as Magneto's children, obviously. Um, I imagine the first issue of this series is going to be the accusation and hunt for Magneto, but I can't see the question of if it was him or not lasting beyond the intro into issue two very far beyond that. Um, also based on the preview, it looks like Polaris is going to want to stay and help X-Factor solve her maybe sister's murder, um, but is taken away by her new team for those responsibilities, which I know was kind of apparently a sore spot for Williams uh, in the ending of her X-Factor series. Um, so hopefully whatever bad feelings there may have been about that separation, they'll be able to explore that and settle that in this. Um, I also have to mention there are some amazing variant covers, including um, the Todd Nock face variant, which is fine, whatever. John Romita Jr., uh, a Greg Capullo remastered one, very classic. A David Finch, you know, all very classic. Uh, then we have two different ones by Alan Qua, um, a Virgin and Regular by Art Germ, a uh, beautiful Elizabeth Torque uh, Wanda in uh, her kind of more modern outfit, uh, and then the Peach Promoco of Wanda and the Mark Brooks. Oh my lordy, look this one up. The Mark Brooks Trial of Magneto number one variant. It is a homage to Michelangelo's Pieta, which has been done a number of times in comics. It was Ms. Marvel number 50, the death of Captain Marvel being the first, of course, and also the final issue of, um, I believe it was The Mighty Thor by Jason Aaron. So... Um, it's been homaged a few times. This will be the fourth one, and it will be the fourth that I actually have. I have all four. Well, I will have all four, but this Mark Brooks one is phenomenal. The Pieta, if you're unfamiliar, is a uh, Italian... Uh, it's made by Michelangelo, of course. An Italian um, a statue of carved marble that is showing Mary... Uh, you know, traditional biblical Virgin Mary holding the son, the body of her son Jesus as he was just taken off the cross. So she's very sad and young and he is very um, withered and dead. <laughs> um, but it's a, it's a stunning piece. Um, Michelangelo did a phenomenal job on it. There's a reason that it's so famous. It's a very good reason. Um, and I absolutely love homages of it. I was raised Catholic, not what I subscribe to these days, but um, I, I have a great love of art and I've taken a number of art history classes, so I love me a good Pieta homage. Um, plus the fact that it's like, you know, a little bit heretical just adds to how how awesome they are. <laughs> That wraps up this week's Friday B episode. 
for Sensational She Geek live from Yancey Street. Thank you very much for listening for whatever portion of the podcast you were able to listen to. I always enjoy hearing people's feedback and things. Please, please interact with the podcast in whatever way you can. Like, subscribe, follow, share, um, link, what all the things do them. And I will very much appreciate that. Again, if you would like to um, donate to the podcast or have a podcast financial subscription to me, you can do that on Patreon. It is entirely voluntary. Um, otherwise, you can just listen to this podcast like normal and support it by sharing it with people who will listen to it and also share it and enjoy it and listen to it, etc. I will be back for the next episode this coming Monday, the 9th of August, where I will be discussing, of course, James Gunn's The Suicide Squad out tomorrow slash tonight on HBO Max, and I guess in theaters, if you're going to go that way, uh, just make your own decision. Don't be coerced by what other people say you should do. (laughs) Um, In either way, you know. And... We will also be discussing episode 15 of 16 of The Bad Batch, almost close to the finale, so it's time to get serious about this shit. In the meantime, um, I plan on having a fantastic Friday. I'm going to be hopefully um, having a great time at a brewery with my husband and some friends of ours that we've made, like real humans do. Um, so yeah, that'll be a lot of fun. And then we're going to have a great weekend. I hope you guys have a awesome Friday and weekend as well. I hope you are able to watch the Suicide Squad if that is something that you're interested in watching. And if not, I hope that you aren't completely driven nuts by people who do watch it. (laughs) Have a great weekend. Uh, enjoy whatever it is that you do consume through media this week. And don't be an asshole, but stay sweaty about your hobbies.